What is heart failure? Floppy heart. <laughs> it is a failure of the heart to meet the metabolic demands of the body. Now, what are the metabolic demands of the body? What's the number one metabolic demand of the body? Oxygen. Now, it also carries glucose. It also carries cholesterol. It also carries fatty acid. It carries a lot of stuff that cells need. But what do they need the most? Oxygen. So, when we're talking about heart failure, the thing that's going to fail the quickest is oxygen. So, if the heart does not pump enough blood to meet the body's demand for oxygen, that's considered heart failure. Now, can some other things impact that oxygen supply? What? You're not allowed to say yes unless you give me an answer. No, we're talking about oxygen here. So what, all right, I want you to do is I want you to hold your breath. Say again? So what, el what else besides the heart could impact the body's oxygen supply? Okay, so lung problems. If a person has COPD, is their heart going to have to work harder? If a person has asthma, is that going to make their heart have to work harder? Yeah. Well, it depends on how bad the asthma is. If they have respiratory failure, does the heart have to pump harder yeah. or work harder? What else could make the heart have to work harder? Okay, exercise. So if you're doing something that would increase metabolic demands like exercise or elevated what? Okay, elevated temperature. And when would we have an elevated temperature? When you have an infection. So having an infection can actually make the heart have to work harder. What else? We're not talking about that now. What else can make the heart have to work harder to pump blood? Enough blood. Anemia. So anemia carries the oxygen. If you don't have enough red blood cells or enough hemoglobin heart has to make up the slack. So when we talk about heart failure, heart failure can be relative. A person could be doing just fine, becomes anemic, and now the heart becomes, goes into heart failure because it has to pump harder to make up the difference for the anemia. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, unfortunately, heart failure tends to travel with company. Like... Anemia, diabetes, heart disease, COPD. So one of the things we have to be very, very careful about when we treat heart failure patients is we don't just treat the heart failure. We have to treat all of it together. Make sense? All right. Now, heart failure can be classified as either acute or chronic. Which one is more dangerous? Which one's more likely to kill you right now? Why? So it's sudden, so acute, you don't have enough time to, what's the word? Compensate. Compensate. Now, it can also be left-sided or right-sided. Now, they have some funny names for left and right-sided. Left used to be called congestive heart failure. 
and right used to be called cor pulmonale. And you may still hear those terms. But the thing is, most patients, no matter which one they have, within a matter of weeks, they'll have both. Why is that? Do you remember way, way back we talked about how the left and the right side of the heart have to be exactly in sync or what will happen? It'll back up and then like within a day, if it's 1% change, person is drowning. So when we're talking one side over the other, tiny itty bitty amounts. Now, there's also two ways that the heart can fail. It can either fail through systolic dysfunction, which would mean it can't pump hard enough. And it can also fail through diastolic function, which means it can't relax enough to fill up with enough blood. Some patients will have both. So when we talk about heart failure, what are the three classifications that we have as far as the pathophysiology? Acute or chronic, right or left, systolic or diastolic. Now, when we say left-sided failure, what side would be failing? The left side. Where does the left side pump to? The rest of the body. So if the left side is not pumping enough blood to the body, where would blood possibly back up to? To the lungs. And the old name for pulmonary edema was congestion, hence the name congestive heart failure. The right side pumps to the lungs, hence the name core pulmonale. The left, the <laughs> left side of the heart pumps to the body. But don't you get pulmonary edema if you have less ventricular? Right, because it will back up into the lungs. I got it now. Okay. All right, now, um, systolic and diastolic function. Systolic function means contraction of the heart. So if it's if it's failing systolically, some possible reasons for that might be ischemic heart disease. What's another name for ischemic heart disease? Well, ultimately leads to coronary artery disease. CAD and gives us MIs. When you have an MI, what does that mean for the heart? A small part of that muscle has died permanently. What does that mean for how well that heart muscle pumps? It's not going to pump as well. If you kill enough of the heart over repeated MIs, guess what we'll go into? Heart failure. How many of you have ever played a sport and you got injured? And you kept playing. No big deal. And then you got injured again. And you kept playing, but you didn't play quite as well. Until eventually, coach had to take you off because you were actually hurting the team. That's kind of like what happens with ischemic heart disease. You get one heart attack, it's okay, you can keep playing. You get two heart attacks, well, not pumping so good anymore. Get the third heart attack and now you begin failing the body. So over repeated heart attacks, 
the patient's heart has died slowly, slowly, slowly until it doesn't have enough to give and patient goes into heart failure. Here's a favorite one. Idiopathic. What does that mean? Medicalese, for we have no idea why you're doing this. Here's a fun one. Viral and bacterial infections. So, when you see a 20-year-old guy or 25-year-old guy who's got heart failure, you can be pretty sure that it's one of two things. It was either an infection or cocaine. Or, or other drugs. Yeah. If you have a really young person, if you've got a really young person who's got heart failure, it's probably one of two things, either an infection or drugs. Which is actually not on here. How long? It, what? No, it can be pretty quick. Um, several different kinds of viruses can lead to cardiomyopathy. Um, bacterial endocarditis can do it. Um, uh, streptococcus pyogenes can cause it, um, like scarlet fever. And then valve diseases. What, where does blood have to pump to, pump through to get out of the heart? A valve. What valve? On the left side. The aortic valve. On the right side. The pulmonic valve. So if, you, if those valves don't open up properly, you're not going to have enough cardiac output. What keeps blood from going back into the atria? Valves. If those valves don't close well enough, guess what happens when the heart pumps? It pumps backwards. Again, you're not going to have enough blood getting pumped out. Now, how do we measure systolic heart failure? How do we measure it? What do we do to them? Okay, not a stress test. Say again? Okay, you can look at their cardiac output. And what is cardiac output? What times what? Stroke volume times heart rate. All right, now, what makes up stroke volume? The amount of blood in the heart right before it contracts, and that's called end diastolic volume. What's the other name for that? Pre. Preload. So it's preload or end diastolic volume times the ejection fraction. The percentage of blood squeezed out with every heart heartbeat. So out of all of those numbers, which is the one that we use to measure systolic dysfunction? How about the last one? Ejection fraction. And what's the normal ejection fraction? Greater than 55 if you're really good, you can get up to maybe 70%. So heart failure is considered under 55. End-stage heart failure is considered under 10. Or maybe it's 15, I can never remember. But when you get down to like 15% ejection fraction, you really need a heart transplant. Yes, ma'am. So not all valve disease leads to heart failure. 
what you have to do though is if if we detect heart disease or valve like murmurs, you have to get them worked up so that you know if it's causing a problem or not. All right, so that's systolic failure. Diastolic failure is failure of the heart to fill adequately. So remember those atrioventricular valves that if they didn't close enough cause systolic failure? Well, if they don't if they don't open enough, that can cause diastolic failure because not enough blood can get into the ventricle. Pericarditis. Uh, what is pericarditis? Inflammation of the pericardium. So as the inflammation happens and you get gook filling up the space around the heart, that can prevent it from opening up. Hypertension. What happens to the heart during hypertension? The muscles are getting bigger. You're making your heart work out. You're getting, you're making it um, contract under a higher load. What do muscles do when you put them under load? They get bigger. So, if it gets bigger, it has less room inside the chambers, and it is harder for it to relax. How many of you have ever been to the gym, and you've worked out really hard, and then afterwards, you felt like you, like you couldn't straighten your arm out all the way. Because you're like, yeah, I really burned out my biceps on curls today. Concentrated curls, baby. Oh, yeah. And then afterwards, you're like, I can't straighten my arm. <laughs> well, that's kind of what happens in hypertension. The heart literally cannot relax fully anymore. So that's, that will lead us to cardiac hypertrophy. Oh yeah, and here's a here's um, a life-threatening acute one is cardiac tamponade. What's cardiac tamponade? Like tampon, aid is how you spell it. A D E. Tampon, A D E. Yes, and it, they it's featured in 24. I think it's season three, isn't it? What? <laughs> it's in the first one with Audrey. Maybe that was four. I think that's four. So, what is cardiac tamponade? What's the lining that? What's the li What's the uh, the membrane that surrounds the heart? The pericardium. If that fills up with blood, every time the heart squeezes, blood spurts into that and now it can't open up as much. And it squeezes again, and more blood goes in, and it can't open up as much. So it's basically blood in the pericardial sac. That's called cardiac tamponade. It is life-threatening immediately, usually from traumatic injuries. Knife stabs, gunshot wounds, car accidents. Yeah. Tampon aid. But it's pronounced cardiac tamponade. <laughs> it's kind of a British uh, pronunciation. All right. Um, now that we've talked about those kind of things, let's talk about heart failure in general. So, when the heart fails to meet the body's demands, what are the normal, normal response to lowered cardiac output? Epinephrine and norepinephrine is released. And that causes the heart to pump harder, faster. And what does it cause arteries to do? Vasoconstrict. Now, this 
ordinarily would help the problem. And in early heart failure, it can actually increase cardiac output, which would alleviate symptoms. But what's it doing to the heart itself? It makes it work harder. So what's that harder, harder working heart going to do? Get bigger. Does that help things? No. So it's actually shooting itself in the foot over the long run. Now, renin-angiotensin-aldosterone, what does that do? Vasoconstriction, which leads to increased, increased blood pressure, which can increase um, cardiac output, but or what is it going to do to the heart in this case? Make it pump harder, which is going to lead to cardiac hypertrophy. And we're also going to get an increase in fluid. Now, increasing fluid increases preload. Increasing preload does what to contractility? It increases it. Through what law? Starling's law. Until you get to the point where you stretch out the elastic. And then your socks start falling down. And same thing happens with the heart. Eventually, the heart will stretch so much that it doesn't pump as well. The last thing that will happen is cardiac remodeling. And cardiac remodeling is driven by what substance? Aldosterone. And what causes aldosterone to be released? Angiotensin II. So we can block the effects of aldosterone by blocking aldosterone directly or by blocking angiotensin II. So give me a drug that would do each one of those. What would block angiotensin II? ACE inhibitors or ARBs. What would block aldosterone directly? It sounds a lot like aldosterone. Aldactone. So in heart failure, guess what every heart failure patient should be on? An ACE inhibitor and aldactone. Now, cardiac remodeling is going to lead to fibrosis. What's fibrosis a fancy word for? Scarring. Does scar tissue pump? No. Does scar tissue relax well? No. So this is going to lead to both systolic and diastolic failure. It's also going to lead to apoptosis. What is apoptosis? Or apoptosis, if you were raised on the wrong side of the tracks. It's when you... Your body tells its own cells to die. Is that a good thing? No. Necrosis. Not so good. And then hypertrophy. Is that good? No. Why do we want our heart to not be hypertrophied? Okay, so when it hypertrophies, there's less room inside. So there's going to be less preload. What else? It needs more oxygen because there's more muscle. But does it have any more arteries no so that is going to make it more at risk for ischemia okay um, so here's what's going to happen to the heart it will begin to become dilated there'll be so much water inside of it that it starts to become too stretched as it becomes too stretched it pumps less efficiently and cardiac output goes down. And unfortunately, what's the body response do? <laughs> it makes it all worse. 
it's also going to have increased parasympathetic or increased sympathetic tone, and that's going to keep the heart squeezing longer. And as it squeezes longer, it has less time to relax and fill up. We're also going to get the water retention, and we're going to have what we call competing neurohormones. So what's going to be telling the body to increase water retention? Nope. Renin angiotensin aldosterone. What's going to be telling the uh, body to, uh, also epinephrine, um, what's going to be telling the body to get rid of water? ANP and BNP. What, are, what does ANP stand for? Atrial natriuretic peptide. What does BNP stand for? B-type natriuretic peptide. It can be produced in the brain of animals, but where it really gets produced in humans is in the ventricle. So when the ventricles get stretched up here, the cardiac dilation, that leads to them producing BNP. Now, do you think we can use this to our advantage? Yes. How? Okay, so we can actually treat heart failure by giving BNP, and that will help squirt the fluid out of their kidneys and into their urine. But can we use it to our advantage any other way? Yes. Okay, and what would that other way be? I one way. We're very proud of you. So how else can we use this to our advantage? If BNP goes up as the heart stretches, can we use it to check for something? Okay, so what do you mean? Whoever said failure. Okay. So, if we have a patient who we think has heart failure, we can draw a BNP level, and if it's high, guess what? They have heart failure. If it's low, they have something else. So we can use BNP for diagnostic purposes as well.